you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast and my sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, Tubi, YouTube with ads, Amazon Prime, uh, all the places that you can watch movies. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently trying to make my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep who used to work at Sundance and I love distribution. This week, we welcome actor, writer, and director Alden Ehrenreich to the show to talk about writing and directing his first short film, Shadow Brother Sunday, which he also stars in. Ulrich talked with Alden about his process, what he has brought from his career as a Hollywood actor into his first short, and what Francis Ford Coppola's advice was in making his first short film. This is also our very special 450th episode, 450, 450th episode of the show. So after that, we will play a very special round of the game and chat about what we've learned in 450 episodes. Well, I am not prepared to do that. But first, Ulrich, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am still a little sick, but I'm better than I was before. This has lasted like two weeks. It's been really crazy. But yeah, very excited that this is the 450th episode of the show, you know? Don't think I ever thought we would get to 450. I thought, like, we'd get to 200, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's uh, more than double that now, so... Oh my god. Amazing. Thanks for everyone for sticking with it, sticking with the show. Yeah, and this this conversation with, with Alden was really fun. Man, it was so cool. It was just like a really... It was basically like all these things I like was hoping he'd, we, he would talk about... And that we, he kind of hit everything. Like, you know, talking about the, act, the directors he's worked with, he's told stories for most of the directors that he'd worked with before, some of the most of the famous ones. And he like really hit on some very like personal, emotional stuff too. So I just thought that it was just a really great overall coverage of him. And then, you know, his, his short, which is phenomenal. Oh, it's so good. I it's love really his good. short. Seriously. Yeah. And then he talks about how he gained um, like 20 pounds or something to do that role and how he would like, I would never, never recommend ever doing that again. It was so gross <laughs> to gain that much weight. And I was like, man, well, like I didn't even recognize you, dude. Like I, I you just was so sweaty. It was just so different. Oh, it's crazy. But yeah, uh, I haven't been writing lately, which has been sad. I've been doing all kinds of other things. I like you. You mentioned our last podcast. Like, oh, I'll work. You should go onto Facebook groups um, and look for work there. And I was like, yeah, duh, of course I should. Because <laughs> I was already part of a couple of them. And then I I went on a a deep dive the other day, and I found a whole bunch of them that that are especially for like editing. Oh, and yeah. then like there wasn't any that's like specifically feature film editors, nice. but there was some that were like feature film crew or and like in in there in those groups there were some postings for some editorial stuff so you know you know didn't get a job or anything from it yet but like i think it's a really good thing to be a part of and to to add to the list of things to check on a daily basis because there are so many things to check and look at in job board wise there's just so you know, just so you know what you're missing out on by not being a woman. There's like 10 times the amount of those groups just for women oh, in post-production. Yeah. So nice. rue ru- your, ru- your gender. Rue it. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to a couple more people about it was like directing advice, but also advice to get more feature film editing jobs. Kind of a two, two-parter for most of the conversations. And I got some really good advice. 
very thank- thankful for people who taking the time to talk to me about these things. And yeah, so it's, it's going, I'm making progress. It's just with all this like other thing, stuff that I'm doing, like I'm not really putting time into writing, which is like what I was doing back when I was working and kind of want to do more writing again, because I've had a lot of ideas. One of the things that um, one of the people said was like, you know, for your first, like, so it's funny. I got, oh my God, I got to tell you this. I'm not going to out names, but like I talked Uh-oh. to an executive producer who's made a bunch of movies, like hundreds of movies. And then I talked to a director who's made like 12 features. And the advice from them was exact opposite. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> the, that does not surprise me. Tell the me. Executive tell me producer, the executive producer was like, you need to get a bigger movie. Like, you can't just keep on making movies like you're making. You have to get like a bigger movie with bigger names. And like, that'll get you on, on, on where you need to go. Like, you can't just, don't just make another movie because like, it's not going to like, you need, it's not going to take you up. Like you need to take a, get a movie that's going to take you to a, a next level, you know, like a higher budget with like named actors, etc. And then the director was like, just make anything you can, whatever <laughs> you can. It doesn't matter. Like I've made like X amount of features, but I'm still thinking about like the, the movie I can make by myself with like the smallest budget possible, you know, in, in my hometown. And like, what can that movie be? Cause across my career, like the thing that's always helped me is the fact that if I'm always doing something, then yeah. something else will come from it. So yeah. don't just sit around waiting for some shit. Like just go out, like take the Duplass brothers advice, you know, the and cavalry go, is not coming never. So just make the movie, you know, yes. so whatever that is. So then I've been thinking about like, well, what movie could I make that's like super low budget that I could do for like nothing, you know? and make it, you know, with a really small team, you know, in my hometown and then not have to spend like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and maybe spend like $10,000 or even less, you know, just like, just make a movie with a, with a small group of people. So I've been having those ideas and since I've been a little sick, I've been having these like thoughts right before bed and having these crazy dreams and then like waking up and being like, God, is that a movie? What is that? That's crazy. (laughs) And then like writing down things like pressure, what movie could you make? (laughs) That is all about pressure. Make them pressure all twins. Personified. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's from baby mama. Because she, she has weird dreams and she's like one of them says, make them all twins. Make them all twins, Ulrich. That's funny. But yeah, how have you been doing? What's been going on with you? My daughter is teething. So that's wow. unexpectedly early and really unfun. Yeah. We are talking to yet another production company for this horror movie. And everyone at these meetings, this is, I never played this game before, but it's like you have these meetings. You know this. You have these meetings. It's like heaven in a phone call. They're like say all these things about how they want to support you, how they love your script. And then it's like I'm just waiting for it not to happen. Like, I'm just like, what? how is this going to peter out in the next few days? Like, what's going to go wrong? They're not going to get their funding or we're going to get pushed out by some other project. So I had another call today with a production company and yet another pathway to like flirt in. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you have to just mm-hmm. flirt for a while. So I should celebrate because I know you and you're like, celebrate the wins. But right now I'm like, none of it is real. None of it is real. So I'm waiting to see how that is going to fall apart. And then I'm heading up to Marin for a few trips the next few weeks. So I'm going to travel with the baby traveling. 
Yeah, gonna do that for the first time in Thanksgiving too. So it's gonna be gonna be fun. Gonna be crazy. <laughs> Are you going on on a plane? Hopefully, yes. No, no. Ah! <laughs> I'm not going to a plane till Christmas with her. We're avoiding oh, the. Man. No, I'm not interested. No, thank you. No. Nope. Oh man, because the the car. I don't know. Like we're we're good. so we're basically doing the plane in Thanksgiving, and then we're doing the car in New Year's. Mm-hmm. So we haven't done. We've the longest he's been in a car so far is probably like ooh, twenty minutes, maybe thirty. So he hasn't really been on long car. Oh yeah, rides yet. probably us too. Yeah, but there's like, yeah. does it really matter? I mean, like they're gonna be asleep for half of it, right? So yeah. I don't know. He just seems pretty. My my boy is like a little more cantankerous in the car than I remember my daughter oh. being. Like you know, he just gets a little pissed. But now, like BB's at this point in her life where she loves being in the car, and she just like will sometimes just want to drive around, and like we'll go go That's to a park, awesome. and I'll be like, okay, we're at the park, and she's like, I want to drive. <laughs> like, uh, okay so no park then you want to just drive around all right cool yeah. let's go let's go check it out so yeah. that's fine so yeah i feel like she's on like a really good side of it he's like such a such a young baby we don't even really know yet you know so we'll see but like the, the plane i don't know the plane is like yeah it's like shorter you know so that's the, the nice thing it's only like a couple hours but it's hell the air i genuinely think <laughs> airports like the experience of being in an airport with a child is a circle of hell. It is probably I don't know which is worse, higher or lower in Dante's circles of hell, but it's <laughs> it's in the worst bracket. It's in the worser than many things. Uh, our last one was pretty smooth, but like <sighs> that was one. So now we're like this is up in the ante. So we're doing two. Yeah, so that's good. It's going to be no. crazy, but I think it'll be OK. Well, I mean. That's what I'm looking towards. But I think the more interesting thing to bring up in the podcast is like with all these things that with meetings or baby stuff or TK stuff, I'm trying to hack productivity yet again. So I'm trying to like truly organize my time. And I bought a chores app. (laughs) I have to track chores so I can get ahead of chores so I can clear up my day. I'm going to try to have an hour a week to write again. So it's just like nice. you, it's the same battle, right? It's the same battle of time and commitments. But I'm thinking like, maybe, maybe I can do some, I could consolidate some chores and I could prep things the night before so that I could get an hour of writing a week. So that is Ooh. my current effort. That sounds we'll nice. See. I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit about the the meetings of these production companies. Like, like what are they offering you anything like is there a contract or is it more like just talk before contracts like it's talk it's dating and i think if we were a different production we would be pushing for more commitment up front Mm. but because we're trying to build a model of making this movie that pot like we don't want to commit to a 12-day shooting schedule and we don't want to commit to Mm. shooting in Georgia you know it's like Mm. if if they were to say we want you here's money let's do it we may be receptive to it but we're not going to be the aggressive member of the party does that make sense so we're just being we're a little bit passive than we normally would be because I think there's a world where we could maybe make this film independently by attaching exec producer slash investors who bring on independent 
equity financing to us rather than working with a company. And so we're still dancing. But is it like, are you waiting? Like, what's the next steps after your call? Is it like for them to review something and like let you know what they think or... Are they waiting oh. for something from you? Like, like I just want to know yeah. like, what the, you know, what the technical kind of process is. Company one is waiting for us to either, uh, they want us to sign that interim agreement and to attach talent. Company two sent us some script notes. They're not major, they're minor, but they do want to see if we're going to address them and we, we want to address them. So we're, Amy and I are working on it. Third company ghosted me. <laughs> so I wow. don't know. They just stopped talking to me. And then company four that I talked to today, they need a slate of six movies before they're greenlit for money. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're maybe going to get back in touch in a few weeks. Once they have once more Once they movies. have the slate. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Interesting. And like, are these companies like ones I've heard of before? Or are they no. like really small? Maybe one of them. I can't mention their names, but one of them you may you may have heard of them. Not in terms mm. of, not in terms of like you would see them in a billboard, but like you may have friends who have worked with that company, uh, right? Okay. So yeah. they're somewhat achievable companies. These are not. This is not a twenty four coming to me saying Liz. And why wouldn't you want to sign the interim agreement with company number one? Is it just because you're trying to decide which company to go with and you don't want to like marry this company yet? Or is there another They want complete creative control of how we make the film. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And like, I'm the type of person or maybe, you know, maybe you are too, but it's like we bootstraps, we bootstrap our productions. So the idea of like having a production company is so attractive. So I don't want to sh- shoot them down and say, no, I'm not going with you. You want cre- complete creative control. That's a no from me. I want to keep all my options open. Like I think with dating, I commit, <laughs> I commit early, but with, with this like dance of filmmaking dating, it's like, I feel like I'm trying to be the cool girl. Who's like keeping her options open and not committing non-monogamous and seeing what's mm. best for me and until the best option arises. Yeah. And like with the first production company, would they give you like any kind of like a director's cut or anything like that? Or would it be like, oh, we haven't no. even gotten to that point yet. They said that they were fucked over by a recent filmmaker. And so they're locking creative control down from now on. Oh, wow. Interesting. As far as like, even if you went with them, like, it's still the same thing that we all do where you have to, like, attach cast to the project. Yeah. And, like, so it's still, like, just one step of many. It's tiny, to, tiny to, like, step. get the thing. But you're like, I don't know about. And, and are they are they one of the ones I would have heard of? Are they, like, even like a smaller? I'll say group? that we've interviewed someone from this company on the podcast. And I'll, t- I'll oh. text you afterwards. So they're, they cool. could be familiar to you. But, you know, it's it's also, like. Company one, company two, company three. It's like, who is excited by us? And then I think a lot of things are going to be opened up when the SAG strike ends. So it's like, then we don't have to sign the interim agreement. We wait for whatever needs to be ratified gets ratified. Then we move forward on actual SAG documentation to become a signatory. And then we make decisions, right? Nice. So I think... We're in a holding pattern, not just because of my wanting not to commit quite yet, but actually because of the strike and not knowing exactly what we're agreeing to by becoming a SAG signatory production. 
Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And then just for how you found these companies, I know you told me before, but it's just like people you know that you reached out to and you're like, hey, I have a movie. Like, are you interested? Basically, Yeah, this most you- recent one, a friend of mine said, this company's looking for queer horror and we have a bisexual and a lesbian character in Best Friends Forever. And nice. I was like, letting you know, I'm a very vanilla, heterosexual, married woman, but we have these queer characters. Are we still okay by you and they were like yeah you're totally okay by us nice so we got acceptance exciting (laughs) we'll see we'll see i mean like whatever we've had millions of these conversations on this show but i I mean hey the fact that you're just doing it is amazing the fact that you've you know you brought your film to four different production companies it's like that's you know like people want that so bad right like but i that's what i I wanted for years i never you know, taught, you know, whatever pitch production. Well, I guess I did pitch some, but like not a bunch. So, you know, I feel like it's very exciting that you're at this stage. And I don't don't want to prolong this too much, but it's like it was none of these were pitches. None of them were like all the pitches I've ever had have been very unsuccessful. But these were like I send them the deck. I send them the script. They meet. They tell me what they're about. They say how they could help us. We say that sounds great. We're still working things out dot 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 like it's not it wasn't like a formal pitch that i assumed that this process would be filled with yeah but that'll probably happen at some point right like, right to attach know, people or like a financing or something yeah exactly when you actually have to when it actually becomes a thing you know yeah yeah but would you know what is a thing patreon don't forget to support us on patreon www.patreon.com slash podcast. It is how we keep the show running. Every single dollar goes to our editor. And we are in love with him, Jeff Rymoot. Thank you for everything that you've done and the probably hundreds of episodes from you at this point. So please support Jeff by going to our Patreon and by getting access to hundreds of episodes behind the paywall on Patreon for only $1.99, $1.99 a month. But without any more further delay, here's... Ulrich's chat with Alden Ehrenreich. All right. Well, I'm here with Alden Ehrenreich. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Give us the elevator pitch for your short, A Shadow Brother Sunday. Shadow Brother Sunday is about the older brother of a young movie star who has is a musician himself and he's washed out and living in his car and having a hard time. And he comes back to the family's house on the day of his younger brother's big movie premiere. And he's back channeling with the paparazzi to steal the younger brother's computer and sell it to them. And how many days did you shoot the film? We rehearsed for four days, which was super important to me because I really wanted to get the family to be a family. So we did all these different improvisations and exercises and improvised family meals and arguments and backstory, you know, history when we were kids and all kinds of played catch and did all kinds of stuff with myself and the other actors. And then we shot for four days. And if you can say, or if you're willing to say, what was the rough budget of the short? It was somewhere a, a little over a hundred. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And how did you come up with this idea? Like, where did this, this movie come from? 
you know, was it personal, like your own life yeah. or was it something that you just read about? Like where, where is the origin of the idea? No, it was very personal. I mean, you have multiple characters that I really related to, you know, you have somebody can, it's, it's, you know, one of the things is the film is a portrait of the effects that fame can have within a family, you know, not on just the person and the public, but how they're dealing with the public, but how it affects their relationships with people who've known them their whole lives. But it's also, you know, primarily about people who are close to that, but don't have it themselves. People, you know, who I think in any industry, you know, any kind of big success can have a strange effect on people's relationships, you know? And so I related to it from all sides. I've been the person who's having success and having people around me act a little funny. I've also been the person who isn't having success and is feeling some kind of tension that I wish I didn't feel when I sit down with a friend of mine, let's say, who's more successful than me that moment or having some big flashy thing and wishing, you know, just wanting to be there and, and, and have fun and connect. And there's something else in the room suddenly. So it's kind of exploring all of that, exploring the ramifications that fame and success can have. And particularly in LA, it has a, it has a certain flavor to it, you know, because everybody's so constantly aware of show business. Everyone's so terrified that if they're not, doing something cool and they get asked at a party what they're up to, that they're not going to have an impressive answer. And like that, it like haunts people. And there's something really sad about that to me and us, you know, there's gotta be a better way as they say, <laughs> you know, on the infomercials than us having so much of our self-worth and our self-esteem wrapped up in these stories about success that we're kind of fed and that are kind of just silly fairy tales. So the movie really exists on a on an interpersonal, a very intimate scale, but those are the forces that are shaping those relationships in the background. And then how long did you spend working on the film from like when you came up with this concept and wrote the script to like it being released and in film festivals? It's so hard to answer because I worked on a different, I worked on a feature story about brothers for a really long time. And then I had this idea for a shorter version that was different and wrote it very, very quickly. But I'd been writing the other thing for like, a year or two and then wrote this fairly quickly. Then spent a long time revising it. And then we were like good to go. You know, we were going to go, it was January of 2020 and or February, 2020. I think we were having meetings about, all right, so we're going to shoot in a few months and how do we find the money and da, da, da. And then obviously, you know, our, my first meeting at my agency about it was the first time I was in a room where people were sort of elbow bumping because they didn't really know what to do. <laughs> and then by the end of the meeting, uh, COVID had been announced as a national emergency. So, uh, so then we sat on the film for a couple of years, basically. And that gave me the opportunity to do something, especially because I'm acting in it. Um, I wanted to prepare as much as humanly possible. Over that time, we did table reads. You know, once things were safe, we I have a theater space. and We got a bunch of actors together and did table reads of the script, recorded it. I drew storyboards and we put those, we animated those storyboards and put oh, wow. animation, yeah, very crude animation, but like with the, with the, paired it with the table read, the recording of the table read, so we could watch an animatic. Cause I did a, I did a tour of Pixar several years ago and I was so impressed by their process and what they do with film and how they 
have this incredible track record. I mean, their batting average is just off the charts compared to other, any kind of other studio. And it feels like the testing and vetting process is so extensive. And that that's a big piece. It's a big magic ingredient. So I was like, well, what if we did that with a non-animated film? I just, it's still a visual art form. I'm like, what if, can we, can we road test the movie before we are, it takes more money on the front end, but it saves you money when you're actually shooting because you've, you've kind of kicked the tires on all these things. And I knew that, you know, my eye was going to be limited in a certain way because I'm going to be in front of the camera most of the time. Let me make sure all of this sort of like, there's no holes in the boat before we have 50 people on set. And that was incredibly valuable and discovered some things that I wanted to change in the story, you know, how to establish that this character was actually famous. that didn't, on the script, you bought it. And when you saw the animatic, you went, well, I don't, I need to see something that tells me this guy's a star, which is where the beginning of the film, we see him on television came from. What was the question? It was how long this took. So <laughs> slightly longer than this answer. We basically did all that over COVID and then shot a year ago, the day I got home from shooting a movie and I figured out how to put it together through a financing company and shot it about a year ago. So it was a many years process. The producer, Natalie Metzger was unfucking believable. Can I swear here? I'm yeah, sorry. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she was incredible and she just stuck with it and, and, you know, the whole time and, and carried this through. So it would have been a lot shorter, but it was basically like I wrote it in 2019, the end of 2019 and didn't make it till 2022. So nice. And then the last of these little boilerplate questions, like if there's one thing that you could change about the movie, like any mm-hmm. aspect of it from like making it to like, you know, the final product, like what would that thing be? Right. Well, you really learn so much. So there's a lot of different things rattling in my head. I think process for me as an actor, one of the big learning lessons was the amount of time I give myself to get ready for a role is wildly different if I'm directing In other words, if it takes, if a perfect amount of time is like two months or three months to prepare for a role, I'd say three months is like a, is like an ideal amount of time for me. If I have, oftentimes you only have a month. So let's say I have a month to prepare for an acting role. Okay. Well, I can do that. In this case, when I'm thinking, oh, okay, I have a month and I'm the filmmaker and like quasi, you know, helping produce some of it. I really have a week because my days are spent in production meetings and hiring people and vetting all these different things. And so what I realized, and this is very much in top of mind for when I direct a feature, which is my plan for the next year, is giving myself way more time on that end and just really front loading that preparation process. Because you also, even when you wrote it, you think you understand it. And then as an actor, you kind of have to treat it like you didn't write it. And I'd worked for some actor directors in the past Warren Beatty particularly, and, and, and learned a lot there. So there was definitely that. And then there's little technical things like, you know, when I'm inside of the, I calibrating how many takes to do when you're inside of it, you know, and I, I would do more close up, more takes of the close ups that next time, because anyway, it's a kind of a long, boring technical thing, but yeah, I would say those are, those are the, 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 the headliners. And then there's like a million other things in a, in a million other small categories that I just was so, it was so fun to learn. And it was so fun to learn with a 15 minute film. So going into the future, I just really ahead of the curve. So like, did your process change as an actor? Like when you were on set, 
when you're directing yourself versus when you're just acting in a movie? It changes mainly in only a good way. I mean, I loved it. There's certain times where like, there's certain technical things you can miss. So like, oh, I need to walk in the doorway faster because in the last shot, I exited faster. That's the kind of thing you don't necessarily Mm. see as well when you're inside of it. Or there's a scene in the movie where I'm with four other characters and we're all facing the same direction. And that is a technical challenge because you can't, and we're shooting on film. So playback is sort of limited, but but the main and most important thing that is different is the thing I love most about doing it, which is that I can try anything and I can take wild risks and improvise and get things wrong in the way that I would always like to. But when you're acting for somebody else, you know, you have some sense of how they want it to be. You also know, you know, that they get to make the final editorial decisions and ideally you trust them, but sometimes you don't. And so there's just a certain amount of wanting to sort of get it right on some level that with my own material, I felt this license to be much more, much more experimental, try things that are much more wrong and take bigger swings. And then I can also, you know, for me in this film, like the scene between the two brothers, my character asked my younger brother for money. I really wanted that scene to feel genuinely tense, not to have two actors performing, uh, acting like two guys who were having a tense conversation, but for this to be a genuinely tense conversation. And we were helped by the fact that the camera started shorting out on that moment. That added some tension (laughs) to the room. The camera was jamming because we shot on 35 and we had some issues with the film there, but the the other thing is within that I could improvise off screen to Nick Robinson and say things that get genuine reactions out of him. He's on board for that. We've set established trust and terms within the rehearsal process that this is part of what we do. But because of that, I can instead of whispering to another actor to try something, I'm in it and I can try things that I know are going to you know, be surprising in the moment and capture that surprise on film. And I'm very pleased with the way those things happen. And that can only happen because I had Nick who is who I, Nick is who I wanted from the very first casting conversation I had with Mary Vernu. I just loved him for it and thought he was, he, he brings, you know, he's such a talented actor. He's just naturally engaging to watch on screen and i needed somebody who could convey a genuine feeling of that this person is somewhat lost and has a lot going on inside with very little you know with not a lot of opportunities to sort of show that and to make sure that this person isn't sort of acting that and nick just has something going on inside of him that is in conflict and that reads really clearly and is also sweet and likable and that you know he doesn't feel like I didn't want the audience to be all oh, this. Here comes the prick movie star. Like he has a, a genuine sweetness to him and an intelligence. And all of these qualities were really important as well as just being the right age, being believable as my younger brother, you know, and it's funny too, because I'm casting a character that's a little bit of a proxy, you know, an amalgamation of who I was at a certain point. And so to meet all these young actors who are in that age range and talk to them was really funny but it was just a delight and and he did a wonderful job and really brought a lot and i just think he has a he's a, has a, a wonderful natural on-screen presence that is it ended up in the film exactly what i what i had hoped for that's one of the things if there's something i'm so glad i didn't have to change it's that that we got him and that he did the film and did such a good job so what drew you to playing the the older brother 
and you know not being the movie star because like you could have easily written this in a way where you were the right age and the right fit to play the movie star role but like what attracted you to playing the other side of it the truth is that probably there's a lot of elements i've you know been shellacked you know as many as many actors my age have you know like into a shellacked with kind of like a movie star gloss in you know certain movies or in certain press editorial photo shoots things like that them trying to make you look like a matinee idol or a male ingenue <laughs> or a pretty boy or whatever and yeah. it just never sat well with me you know it never was it kind of came with the territory sometimes with selling certain movies or getting certain roles but you know except in the case of hail caesar where it's done in a really specific artistic way most of the times where i had to do that for more press than in films in films a lot of times you're you're you know you're able to be more real and then when you do press you just have to you know do this image and it just rubbed me the wrong way and i didn't like it and i didn't i didn't i don't identify with that i don't like it it doesn't feel like who i am and it doesn't it also has never felt like the the actors who made me want to be actors didn't feel like they were in that mold so there was a there was an appeal to lean into being as a character who was so the opposite of that but i think more than that too like i wrote this film because for all the wonderful luck that i've had with acting I've also had many experiences where I feel like an absolute failure and in a way that's irrational, you know, at a young age at 24 feeling like, Oh my God, I fucked it all up and I'm over the hill and all. I mean, it's just absurd, you know, like, but, but looking at what the, so in some ways I'm very interested in why, you know, I felt that way or people I know feel that way. And, and what a kind of low, what a, what a, what a, a small way to look at life and what a way to miss life is to be so preoccupied. So what are the pressures that are making me feel that way? And then wanting to express some of those emotions, you know, trying to show this side because that character is very much within me as much as the, the young movie star character is. And so wanting to step into those shoes and, and do something that's like a little risking, almost like an act of ventriloquism. And I liked the muddledness of that. I liked how kind of in a very, just not exactly logical way, it just creates like a, a kind of a, an odd in atmosphere to the film that I'm playing that role. And you know, and then I thought it would be fun to gain 20 pounds and it isn't (laughs) drinking milkshakes and eating burgers right before bed. And you know, you have weird dreams and you feel sluggish and it's, it's not the fun I thought it would be. So that piece wasn't so good. Yeah. I was about to ask, like you, you, it was a pretty big transformation playing that character. Like I didn't even recognize you at first, you know, and like you were so sweaty in in a couple of scenes. You really had like, it was amazing. It was just amazing. Right. But like, what was the, like, in, in addition to eating and getting 20 pounds, what else yeah. did you do to prepare yourself to like really transform yeah. yourself? And Well, I think it was like digging in, you know, digging into the role the same way I do with everything. Again, treating it like I didn't write it and how would I interpret it? And actually I had to play it slightly different than I wrote it because I just couldn't, I couldn't play it the way that writer wrote it in some ways. Sweating a lot. <laughs> it was very good to write a character for myself. It was beleaguered and sweaty and busy while I was making my first film as a director because I could, you know, they, they weren't, if I wrote a film where I was supposed to be super polished and slick and together, it would have been taking a lot more time between takes to get me together. You know, that's so breaking it down the way I would everything. And then, and then had a great 
hair and makeup team had a great costume designer where we really did everything we could to like get the beard length right and the makeup right where it was believable, but really told the story and all those levels just added up to a nice thing. We looked at a lot of pictures of, you know, we looked at pictures of everyone from Jack Black to Jeff Tweedy to uh, Artie Lang to Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, and different, different roles that these guys had played or, or phases these guys has been through in their lives to really try to get at that at that feeling and then wanted the the younger character to feel like he was more of a gen z era you know generation movie star which nick you know is so but leaning into leaning into that making sure they're that generationally because there is you know i'm 33 and even though you know a 27 year old isn't that much younger than me because of the the way the world has changed in the last six years there is like a uh, there can be a really strong feeling generational divide. So the guys that this guy, that my character grew up loving and the guys that this younger guy, you know, my younger brother grew up loving would be very different. So trying to paint that picture in a very subtle way, you know, the younger brother has nail polish on and that's not something uh, my character, you know, would ever do, you know, so little things like that. Yeah. So, you know, you've been in like some of the biggest movies out there in the world and you've worked with some of the, the top directors, you know, that have like the legends, basically like Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, you know, the, the Coen brothers, Christopher Nolan, like you can go on forever. What did you take from working with those filmmakers into making this your first short film? Well, it's been the pleasure of my life to work with those guys. And it is the greatest experience to be on a set where you trust completely the person that's behind the camera Every single one of them was a is a is like a different lesson learned. It's like a different chapter of a book. But the the biggest impact for me was Coppola because it was my first film I ever did. I was 17 years old when I met him, and I lived with him, and I spent four months with him in Argentina filming that movie. And I both learned a lot of things practically from him, you know, that I learned then. And then I actually, a few years ago, went up to Napa to just interview him about directing, which was incredible. Oh, wow. He, you know, was, was amazingly generous. And my girlfriend at the time was playing piano. We just sat and talked about filmmaking. And I just went, okay, I'm 10 years away from when we worked together. And I want to understand what we were sort of doing then. And he just walked me through those processes and, and it was very revealing and, and really helpful. A lot of the things I drew on for the rehearsal process came from him, you know, finding my own way of doing something because that's, that's a piece that really gets dropped out a lot. And it's a piece that is so unbelievably helpful. And I think, you know, people don't want to do it because you got to, it costs money to do in advance. But again, you save so much money shooting because you work out the scenes, you create an ensemble, you create a feeling, you create a bravery in the group of people you're working with that is just unparalleled. So a lot of practical things from him, how he directs, but also a spirit, you know, a spirit of believing in art, a spirit of being proud to do this for its own sake. And because you have a passion for something and to take a pretty hard line position against that, having anything to do with industry or commercialism and being a real believer in art and that context, that point of view is so inspiring to be around. And I've had been very lucky to be around a lot of people, the Coens and, and Nolan, certainly, who 
that is also so clear and it just changes the way you walk into the set. I mean, it changes the way everybody feels when they're on set and it is that, that joy, that love of what you're doing is so contagious and so inspiring. And I think in a way that you can't put in a spreadsheet makes movies alive, you know, it brings the movies to life in a way that's, that's, that's really just the, uh, an intangible spiritual quality about why you're doing this. Are you doing this to sell toys? Are you doing this because this is what you love? And it, it was just, you know, so, so, so just not being afraid of that, not being afraid. To, so Coppola was so unembarrassed about talking about those things. And it was, that's, that's kind of lit a, a spark of inspiration that has, I've, that has, I've like, you know, been able to keep lit in my own way for the last, uh, know whatever it is now 20, 15 years since i worked with them so you talked about you, you had four days of rehearsal on on your short like can you walk through like your rehearsal process and and what those days looked like were they eight hour days two hour days and like how did you approach rehearsals well first let me just dunk on how rehearsals often can be which is a lot of times when you go and rehearse you kind of get together a lot of times a director doesn't really know why they want to rehearse, but they just want to get people in a room, which is also really helpful. Any rehearsal is better than no rehearsal, but what it can often devolve into is actors just like picking apart lines on the script that, that they think mm. are good or most of the time that they're just afraid they don't know how to do. And so they're trying to change the dialogue. So they, it's less intimidating. And it's, it's for two hours between a costume fitting and a hair fitting. And then the director goes and spends six hours with the DP or six hours with the, the special effects department. And it's like, and then you go to shoot the scene and you know, you don't know what you're doing. So rehearsal to me needs to be for films. You know, I've also done the Coen's didn't really rehearse very much and that worked really well because their writing is so strong. So it's not that every movie needs to be this, but for me, the movies that I would like to do, it needs to be a full day thing. These were, you know, anywhere between four and eight hours. We would get together. Most of the time was spent with me and Nick Robinson and Lisa Edelstein, who played my mom. Nick Searcy, who played the dad, came in later, but we rehearsed with him. So a few things, different things would happen. We'd play games, you know, which is also a big couple of thing. Like, this is what we're doing. We're still playing make-believe. So we'd do improv games or, you know, this game called Convergence I really love we'd, you know, break some bread together and have a snack and sit around and talk and, you know, hang out for a little while. I would share different elements of the film with them. So look at the, you know, the references that the production designer came up with of what your room is going to look like. And then we'd go into a series of different improvisations. And so Nick and I would do, you know, when Cole was 14 and showing, you know, a young version of Jacob, who I guess then would be about nine or 10, you know, his first song and talking about what he's going to do when he's a famous musician. Or, you know, we did an improvisation where Lisa's character, Sandra, finds out that her husband has, has, has fallen off the wagon that day and it's her birthday and the two boys come home ready for mom's birthday. And she has to pretend she has to make excuses of why the dad isn't there. And then I would leave the room and leave. And, and, and I did this thing that I learned from Francis too, where you write out on a slip of paper. Okay. So this is kind of what you want to do in this scene. And this is some stuff that only, you know, and give it to everybody. So I'd leave the room and then she would tell Nick's character Jacob about what was going on while I was out of the room. I just leave the room for 30 minutes or whatever, and then come back and they had had a whole scene together. 
And then when it came time to that full ensemble of all the people in the background, I really wanted that family to feel really real. So we had a whole day with them where every couple would go out in the porch and we'd run through an improvisation of the first time that couple met in their first date. Wow. And so we would go or or we would we started with a big circle and everybody talking about what's the most important object in their home, you know, which it was a nice way to like talk about something personal. And then we did a whole, you know, big group improvisation where Lisa was getting everybody ready for the premiere. And it just brought everybody into the fold. And then anything that gets referenced in the script. So there's a part where I tease my younger brother about some comment he made about thinking our aunt is hot when we were kids. We did that in his childhood bedroom when he was a little kid and slipped out and I made fun of him and whatever. So when we're referencing that in the scene and talking about that, it's not just something that the two actors now have to come up, you know, hopefully an actor on their own is coming up with a backstory for that line or whatever, an image, maybe sometimes they're not, which, you know, some people, people work in different ways, but in this case, we both have lived the thing. Rachel getting married did a lot of this, you know, that film. And I, I've always admired Mm. that. Uh, I really believed the family in that and a lot of the detail. So that's what the improvisations were about, or Nick and I would go play catch or, you know, we had a big fight once where we did a house tour when we got on the location of the first time the mom showed us our home. And then when seriously, we did a, the last one was we did a, a marriage counseling session on Zoom with me and Lisa. And I was the marriage counselor working with Lisa and her husband. Wow. And they don't have any scenes together in the movie, but I wanted there to be something there. And we had an hour long marriage counseling session talking about his drinking and what that had done to the family and how she feels like she has to. And she was just fucking awesome and so down. And, you know, she's wonderful in the movie and she was just down for, you know, not a, not a huge role, but to, to, she's like the heart of so much of it because she was just so willing to throw herself in and be a part of this. And I learned so much from working with someone like her. So you know, in that marriage counseling session, when it came time to the scene between Bob and myself, and he's yelling at me and he says, you're this, you know, I have to deal with your mother coming in with you with tears in her eyes. He had lived that with her on a marriage counseling session. I don't think it was, I think it was about Cole. Cause we did one too, where I was asking them for money and they had to tell me no. Mm. So he got to see her in that emotional state. So he's talking about something he'd experienced. So you don't get to choose how much of this really ends up in the piece, you know, but you do as much as you can and you believe that there'll be residual after effects that, that carry, that resonate and carry over to create this ensemble. And the other effect is the last thing I'll say, I'll shut up. But the other effect of this is, is that when you have those actors together playing and make kind of a little bit, some of these things are embarrassing. You know, you're just trying to like, and as another Francis was very intent on that of like, we just got to make a fool out of ourselves early on in front of each other. Then when the cameras arrive, you're a team. You're not going and meeting this whole operation in the like a cafeteria at a new school and hoping you get a table. You're like, you are with the other actors. You have already embarrassed yourself. You are all together and everybody else comes to film something that's happening in that respect. And so when I do the feature, which is a total different story, but any feature that I would do, I would want to do in this way so that the actors can have that freedom because then they're more comfortable. They're more willing to, to risk that. They're not trying to spend the first few scenes of shooting, you know, worrying about whether the director likes them or the other actors like them, or are we in competition? You know, you're getting all of that out of the way first, which is, you know, going back to theater and all this, where all these things came from. It's how it's sort of at its heart, I think works best 
for me, uh, you know, lots of other ways to cut the dragon <laughs> as no one's so, the... <laughs> so in addition to all those exercises and all that work, do you also rehearse the actual scenes and the lines together or do you yeah. save all that for set? Yeah, we do that too. So that's okay. the other category of, of things. And, and I think another lesson I learned is I would not shy away from doing more of that actually, mm. because especially when I'm acting in things like there's sometimes this feeling of, well, I don't want to blow it, you know, in rehearsal and then not get the magic, you know, have it happen. I think that's mostly bullshit. I, I think, you know, a lot of people <laughs> say that, but I, I don't believe that you do it and then it, you can never get it back. In most cases, there's probably certain scenes where that's true and you want to have that surprise. There are probably examples of that. But I tend, after this experience, I tend more for myself toward, and, and as an actor and what I've, I've experienced, the scenes that we spent a lot of time on, you know, for instance, the scene with me and Nick, we rehearsed that scene a lot and we went through beat by beat, you know, well, I think if there's a turn here, or what if we did this and really kind of road tested that scene. And then you're in a situation and the camera's jamming and thank God we had rehearsed it in that way because it was like, well, we have this foundation that we know, that we feel confident in. So yeah, we're doing a good amount of that too. And I would do more of that in the future. So I'm sure you've been in situations as an actor when you haven't gotten that rehearsal time, you know, when you just have to arrive yeah. to set and, and do your thing. So how do you prep for those situations? Well, <clears throat> actors typically, you know, I think I can sort of, I won't even say the name of the film, but I worked with Robert Downey Jr. recently. And like the first time I met him at the makeup test or the hair test, he said, let's go to, let's go to dinner tonight. You know, like, let's go hang out. Actors kind of smuggle that time in sometimes of their own, you know, for themselves so that they can get comfortable. Not everybody does that. I've worked with lots of people who certainly weren't saying, let's go to dinner. But for me, you kind of, you know, you're doing it in the makeup trailer. You're get, trying to get to know each other. The actors are always kind of leaning into a relationship with each other, no matter what, with exceptions. You know, somebody's like a big star and, you know, feels protective or something. But in the best case scenario, you know, you're trying to find it. You're trying to find it where you can. You're trying to find it in these little gaps and trying to, well, let's have lunch. And then at lunch, you'll, you know, talk about these things. So there's like this almost gravitational force where actors are trying to do that. And then you try to do as much as you can at home. You know, you try to build as much as you can at home in your own imagination, but you don't have the benefit of doing it with other people. And yeah, and you know, there are instances where that was better, where it was better that I didn't know, you know, I'm thinking of like me and Ray Fines, like did a little rehearsal of like the scene I did in that film, but we didn't know each other almost at all. And that probably was 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 beneficial so there are there are definitely exceptions to this but for me especially when it's like this is my wife in the movie or this is my mom and you're meeting them five minutes before and going oh hi how how are you and you're still kind of trying to be liked and trying to get this person who maybe is more famous than you to think you're nice or whatever the fuck it is and then in two <laughs> seconds you have to scream at them you're just working again you're you're just swimming upstream in that case as opposed to we had a week together we got all that niceties out of the way that just every human being you know it's just a we're all built that way most of us and then we got to explore together then we got to take the mask off and 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 get a little messy I just prefer that. So, you know, you find your own way and, and usually you don't get that, but I hope it becomes, I hope there's a greater value placed on it and a greater directors finding their own version of what rehearsal means for them and what they want to do in that rehearsal. 
So you mentioned that you did all this work, you know, in prep, like storyboarding and animatics and like, you know, the full nine yards, the whole deal. Yeah. How much of that do you share with the cast, if any, or is that all just for you and like the production team? I shared it all. So that was another, that's like, you know, the Coen brothers, you go to the, the trailer on a Coen brothers movie and you have your storyboards wow. that their storyboard artists that they've worked with forever drew and it helps you understand the movie you're in. You know, it's not necessarily, it's not for me a place where actors, either for myself as an actor or when I'm fil- the filmmaker, should be giving notes, let's say, on that stuff. But I think that it always helps you understand the world you're in. So I like to share as much of it as possible. I shared the animatic with everybody so they could kind of see the flow of it, you know, and just build build out the whole world. It, it just feeds you more, you know, it, it's, it's more information. It's just like when you get to a set and you put your costume on, like certain things can come to life that have been stagnant the whole prep time. So... So after, you know, directing and acting in your own film, and I know you're, you've mentioned that you're going to be doing a feature next, like, is that yeah. something that you want to repeat on the feature or are you more interested in just like focusing 100% on the directing? For now, I definitely want to do it in the feature for sure, because I frankly just feel stuff in me that I haven't gotten to get out yet as an actor and a way of working in that kind of risk-taking, you know, slightly more improvisational way that I so rarely get the opportunity to do. And I want to just do and show people. And I just love it. And I, and I love acting, you know, so I always imagine myself being a part of it, you know, being in the films to some extent at the same time, one of the most fun parts of the entire shoot was the one scene that I wasn't in, which is Jacob comes in the house and the whole family greets him. And I just got to stand behind the monitor and <laughs> sip coffee and watch everybody do it and enjoy watching the movie and be an audience to it. It was so fun to not be (laughs) in it for one second. (laughs) So I definitely want to do that more in some way, but for now I'm, I, I want to be in them and then find some kind of balance. You know, Clint Eastwood seems to have a good kind of balance. He's, he's in them sometimes. And then in mystic river or something, he's not, and you know, something like that. You talked about before that you'd already written like a feature length script about brothers before making the short. So why make the short? Is it because you needed something to prove that you could direct a feature or was it just something that you wanted to do for yourself? Like what was the reasoning behind doing the short? Well, the feature that I wrote never came together. It kind of ended up becoming the short. It wasn't finished. And it was, a, it's a good question because in a way it's crazy to try to make a short because especially like a larger short and it would have been easier if it was a feature from a production standpoint. But I felt two things. One is that when I make the first feature, I want the first feature to be a little bit bigger and a little bit more auspicious than, you know, a micro budget, you know, first feature. I just want it to, I want it to be a little bigger. And in order to do that, I felt like I wanted to have a calling card so that, whether I could get the money or get people to be a part of it or not, that those people who are a part of it have a different level of confidence in me as a filmmaker. I think that goes a long way. And so instead of being just a total raw first time director, I'll be working with people who have had the benefit of seeing, you know, this is what I did before this. And when I'm working with someone as an actor and I'm, you know, want to, my level of trust is very much based on what their body of work is before that. So I like the idea of having something. And the other thing was something we kind of spoke to earlier, which is 
I wanted to get the kinks out. I wanted to learn the lessons and have the failures in this context, as opposed to when the stakes and the visibility are so much higher with the first feature. And the third thing was once I wrote this piece, I just loved it and I wanted to make it. It just was its own thing. And I, because we had all this time over COVID, I was exploring how to develop it into a feature. Could I make it longer? Could I do it in short stories? Could I do an anthology film with other short, short films? And it just never wanted to, it just wouldn't budge. It just never wanted to be anything other than this sort of novella. And that was what it was. I would I should say short story. It's not really novella. It's really more of a short story. But yeah, it just always wanted to be that. And so, you know, let it live. Talk about your process for film festivals. Did you have a certain premiere in mind that you went after? Or were you just trying to get to any film festival you can? Like, how did you navigate the film festival circuit and process? I got really lucky with Natalie Metzger because she has so much experience with film festivals, both with features and a lot with shorts. I really wanted to premiere as everybody does at a, at a big one. And so we got very lucky with Tribeca and that was really exciting to be able to have that be the capital P premiere. And then just playing at a lot of different ones, you know, we played it still playing it like a, you know, a whole slew of them that I, some of which I'd never heard of, you know, we played at Holly shorts, which was great. Cause I got to see it in Grand Chinese and it was like the, the biggest I've ever seen the movie. It felt like really seeing it like writ large. It was just thrilling. You know, it's so crazy just to watch yourself on screen in a movie period, but then to see this thing that you actually made, but it was just like, so exciting to see it huge. Just went to the Hamptons film festival and I think we're at Ojai next week. So yeah, it's just been, it's cool. And how do you decide which ones to go to? Like, I mean, I, obviously you can't go to every, you got into a whole bunch of film festivals. So you can't go to all of them. So how do you decide yeah. which ones to travel to, which ones not to? It really depends. It's kind of, you know, like I go to as many as I can, but Tribeca, obviously I definitely wanted to go to because it's our premiere. Holly Shorts is in LA. So it's super easy to go to. The Hamptons was like, you know, a lot of it's like, do I want to go to this place right now? And that was really fun. And I, you know, got to see the Hamptons, which I'd never really seen before, you know, and then you figure out like, is this one that's really, you know, is this one that's that has good press for it or has good prestige that we want to do that. It's like the publicity moves, which are really out of my hands. This is people who know much more about this stuff than I do making some of those decisions. And then it's about availability. So before you talked about pulling the financing together for the short, you mentioned the budget size. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how you raise the money and like, you know, knowing that short films, like you can't really get a return on them usually like, like what, like how you navigated all that. It's very difficult. And I think it's insane to do what I did, which is try to get, do like a big budget short film because it's just really difficult to get the money because like you said, there's typically no return on investment with you know certain exceptions. And we're going to explore some different ways of doing that because I want to kind of release it as a film ideally. But I mean, my advice to like a young filmmaker would be to be really smart about that and just get it done because a lot of what you can, you can make something really magical without any kind of big budget. And then in this case, we have this budget and just, just, this was the film. It had 15 people in it and I wanted to shoot on film and I wanted to have those rehearsal days. And so, you know, we made a lot of other, you know, concessions, you know, but compared to the kind of concessions that most people starting out have to make. It was probably, I had a very, very lucky experience. You know, I would have shot anamorphic probably for the first film and yeah. So a bunch of little things like that. 
and then got very lucky. I had a relationship with someone who was a part of a, a crypto company and oh. has known me as an artist for a really long time. And he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. And he had read the short just as a friend, really believed in it and also had some really cool ideas about what they were like wanting to leverage the visibility of the short to figure out with their like crypto. The company was called DGENs then. And they were doing some, just a bunch of different kind of things they want, interesting, creative things they wanted to do with the short and were just excited about it as a thing. But that was just, I got extremely, extremely, extremely lucky in that respect. So I want to hear a little bit more about the feature. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but like basically going into like from your short to your first feature, like what are some things you learned from the short that you want to make sure that you take into making your first feature? Yeah. Well, like I said, the prep stuff as an actor, kind of all the same things, you know, all those lessons that I learned, but on a bigger scale, you know, and, and really understanding what those relationships are like, you know, one of the things I also learned was you can get people to do things as a favor. You can get higher, bigger flash names sometimes to get people to do things, but they're not going to give a shit the same way that somebody who is not doing it as a favor is going to give a shit. And so I got, I was much luckier getting a sort of a level game out of somebody who's like a B or C level in terms of fame and notoriety in their career. And I'm not talking about the actors. I'm talking about other departments. Right. And then I would have some of the people who were wanting to do this, but it felt like they were, were yeah, we'll do it. And it would have been great for the financing. It would have been great for me to go out and say, oh, the guy who shot this is shooting this movie or whatever. But it, I wasn't going to get that person's care and love. And I've been on films where I could tell somebody amazing and they made an amazing movie 15 years ago or whatever it was, or they've shot these amazing films or they did production design for these amazing films. But this one, they don't really care about the thing's not alive. It doesn't transmit that energy, you know? So that was something for even the first feature where I'll probably have access people who wouldn't, you know, there's lots of people who I could talk to, but we're like, why would I do a short? They'll pro- maybe even those same people might be interested in the feature, but unless they're really hungry and unless they're really interested. And it's something Joel Cohen said to me a long time ago too. He was like, it's more fun to work with your peers. It's just more fun. And so doesn't have to be somebody my age, but it has to be somebody who's going to care, going to be hungry, going to invest in the film emotionally, going to, it's really important to me that all all the people on the crew care about the story, care about what's happening in front of the camera, because it, it defines what that day of filming feels like. And so, and then that feeling again, transmits itself onto the screen. So all of that and just hope, hoping to work with the same kind of wonderful crew that are that are really all in for it. And I would be very, very happy just working with lots of people who I felt creatively inspired by, whether they're big names or not, and make films and get to do that sustainably. Like that's so appealing. And if I can do that, then I, to be honest, couldn't give a shit about whether it's like getting famous or the movies are, you know, big, famous, commercially successful movies or not, if I'm getting to do that on a regular basis. So. And then last question before we go to our final, you know, questions. Sure. Do you have a plan in place to finance the feature? Like, and do you feel like the success of the short is going to be an integral part in helping bring in that financing or was it kind of already in place beforehand? No, definitely not in place beforehand. I'm not done writing it. So what I've also learned is I'm, I'm writing, 
I'm the writer and who I am as a writer takes a certain amount of time that who am I am as a director, you know, I, I is impatient. So I don't think I can, I don't think I can write every single one on my own and make the amount of films I would like to make as a filmmaker. So I'm figuring out that balance, but in the meantime, especially for the first one, I'm going to write the first one. And that's, that's a screenplay I've been working on for a couple of years. As far as setting it up, Again, because I've gotten really lucky as an actor, I could probably, I have a certain level of opportunity and I could probably get in front of people, but I feel way better going and saying, you should make this because of what I can show you I've done as a filmmaker, even on this scale, as opposed to you should make this because you know my name from these other movies, you know, because it's kind of, yeah, sometimes actors typically make, do a better job, but it's not a real it's not real faith. It's not real confidence. You know, people will be sometimes in a famous actor's movie just because they want to say, well, I'm working with this famous actor, but they have no idea whether that person can direct. And some great actors can, and some great actors can't for shit. You know, some of my favorite directors, some of my favorite actors are really bad as directors. And some actors are really, really, really great as filmmakers. You know, I love ordinary people, for instance, is this huge inspiration for me. It's an inspiration for this film. Robert Redford doing that as his first feature. I think he was 40 or something after being, you know, an A-list movie star, much bigger movie star than I've ever been for a decade is super inspiring to me. I just love, love, love that work. So yeah. So the, the plan is to take the script when it's done to whoever feels like, again, the rule is the same. I want someone who really cares. There's fancier people, fancier producers who might do it, but on a lark. And I want somebody who's invested. So finding people who really care, putting the short in front of them, giving them the feature and saying, you know, do you want to be a part of this? And then I have a theater space that I'm putting together on the East side of LA that all, you know, was our home for the pre-production process. And we're going to hopefully do our first play in the, in the next year. And all of it's, it's kind of, you know, getting more people to come and be a part of the journey of that world, so to speak. That's awesome. All right. Let's get to the, the last questions here. Yeah, and thanks for the extra time. I really appreciate you absolutely. around. Thanks for being patient. Oh. With my long winded answers. I'm so excited. Oh, to talk beautiful. About I love it. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. So what's the first film you made and how do you feel about it now? And it, and it could be a, like a little thing you made as a kid. Like it could be the first film you sure. ever acted in. Well, however you want to answer the question. The first film I ever made as a director that was real. I mean, I went, I was really lucky. I went to the school with a great filmmaking program with this great teacher, Billy Robertson, who would like take us out and show us movies and we'd make little films in his class. The first one I made was a movie called Flesh Wound, which was quasi reviled at my middle school, but I, <laughs> I still stand behind some of it. Funny enough, it was really the acting. I was having close friends of mine who were really not actors acting it, but Flesh Wound was about three kids who are playing with a gun and the gun goes off and one of them gets shot. And the, the two kids that are left to deal with this aren't really friends. There's a kind of a popular kid and a nerdy kid who are both friends with this kid who, who got shot. And the popular kid doesn't want to call an ambulance because he doesn't want to get in trouble. And he's kind of putting pressure on the nerdier kid to go along with that and what they're going to do. So it was my three close friends. We shot all night at my house stayed up till early hours of the morning, went out to dinner. I think it was very Reservoir Dogs inspired. <laughs> and it was great. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience and not a particularly good movie. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? You know, God, there's so much. 
there's two that come to mind, but there's like, a, these are like two of a million. One is, uh, I think Ron Howard told me this thing and it was a thing he was talking about with, from, I think somebody at Pixar, some rules, some writing rules. And it was like, make the film you want to see, not the one you feel like you should write, you know, like make the one you want to see, which I think is a useful question to ask. Vincent Gallo used to say something like about that too, of like, you've make the film you wish was on your shelf. And then I worked for a tele- great television director named David Nutter, who directed like the pilot of like a million great shows. And he gave me my first acting role in Supernatural, the second episode. And he just said, trust your instincts and really like said it in a very, in a way that really was very both confirming to me, like gave me a lot of confidence in myself and also as kind of a, a, a watch light. And then God, there's a lot. Walter Murch gave me some really wonderful advice on my first film and was on my first film as an actor and was an incredible, gave me a lot of, gave me a lot of confidence myself and was very like, you know, very intent that, that I make sure to steer my own rocket for, you know, mm. longer advice than that. That was basically it. Nice. Now what's the worst filmmaking advice that you've ever received? Mm. There's just so much all the time. There's so much talk. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much like, there's, you know, I think for certain people, it can be useful for them to try to do calculus on what people are going to like or what's going to be popular. Like, uh, oh my God. there are people for whom that is creatively inspiring in some way to game that out and figure that out, that that helps them with their voice. But I think the vast majority of the time trying to do that math of, well, maybe this is going to be more popular. People are going to like this. And sometimes that's because you want commercial success. Sometimes because you want artistic credibility and you just want other, you just want other people to like what you make and hedge and go, well, but is anybody going to care about this? Or this is, this is this kind of thing, or, you know, doesn't follow these rules or all that kind of thinking, all that business thought of, well, you can't make a movie like this, or we don't buy movies about baseball this year because they don't sell fucking wherever it's just all horseshit and i think artists have to create a really strong line of defense and wall inside themselves to be to stay insulated from the enormous enormous pressures that the commercial side of things extends and it doesn't extend it by going you gotta sell kid it's much trickier and sneakier than that and it's much more like well, don't you want people to see your film? And don't you want da, 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 da? And mm-hmm. well-intentioned people and it's people you like and it's people who are well-intentioned and good-hearted, but in some way they're a part of a larger energetic thing that is anathema and poison to the growth and development of your artistic voice. Well said. <laughs> some people are also really inspired by making things that are commercial. Like some people, Sam Raimi made dark man. Cause he like, couldn't get the rights to a superhero thing and just wanted to do a superhero thing that badly. And so for him, I'm not saying that I, what I'm, I'm saying like when I've worked for people on a larger commercial scale, I always want to know that they want, that's what turns them on. That's what they're excited about. Not yeah. doing this so I can do something else because most of the time you're doing something to do something else. You never end up doing the something else. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I don't have a goal other than to respond to what comes up and what I feel I have inside of me. And that's a constantly changing and evolving process in a very broad sense. It's very important to me to make stories that feel like they're about human beings and are true in some way about what people live life like and what they feel inside of them and what they're going through. And I have a real hunger to see more films like that. I have a hunger 
in the world at large for people to deal with people as human beings and not as sort of two-dimensional versions or categories of who they are. And so I want to lean as far into the mess of that as I possibly can and find something as much as I can show the, you know, beauty or value, or, you know, maybe even something bigger than that, that, that is what that's about. But that's, uh, that has to, that has to come through whatever that particular story in these characters are who have kind of have their own desire to live, right? I have to respond to that. And then if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? I wish I wrote every day from the time I was 20. I wish I wrote every day. I think that I spent a lot of times in my 20s, really fiery and passionate about sort of doing my own thing and making my own work and with a lot of grand visions of stuff. And what I've come to understand is that you can't do anything unless you have a great piece of writing in front of you and a great material and all the acting experiments and cinematic tricks and revolutionary fervor you have about anything has to, the vehicle for all of those things is that piece of material first and foremost, which means that you have to lean into the incredibly difficult, you know, frustrating, mysterious, obstinate process of developing a piece of writing that's really great. And that requires a very long labor. And so, you know, sometimes that's working with other people. Sometimes that's writing it yourself. I've been trying to figure that out over the last few years, what that balance is, finding a book, all these kind of things. I don't yet, yet know what that looks like for myself, but that I wish that I would, I wish that I was instead of going off and sitting at cafes, talking about this stuff that I made sure I was putting in at least an hour a day of writing, ideally, you know, more like four to six every day at that time. Cause I think I would have been the filmmaker I've wanted to be for years sooner. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I wish I wrote more. God, you know, yeah. but it's, it's, well, it's really hard for me. <laughs> it's really difficult. And I also feel like an hour a day is really worthwhile. Like an hour a day or half hour a day is so much better than going, oh, but it really should be four and then not doing it at all for six months. And that's the challenge that I, you know, especially because I have to go move into prep for an acting role sometimes. And now I'm not doing that without setting aside a little bit of time to just keep the drip going, you know, sometimes because a lot can get done in that hour, you know? Yeah. I, geez, if I get 10, 20 minutes of looking at my script, like I'm like, oh my God, even if I don't write anything, if I just look at totally. it, it's like, that was amazing time well spent. Yeah, exactly. It's oh. all showing up. And the Stephen Pressfield book, The War of Art is like the best book about this. That's like the most inspiring book just on that subject. It's fucking phenomenal book. I love that book. Nice. All right. Last question. Is making movies hard? Yeah. It's incredibly hard. Does anyone say no? <laughs> yeah. A couple, of, a couple of people have said no. And it's mind boggling every time. <laughs> I've never worked with somebody who I've, all the greatest people I've worked with are also having a hard time doing it. And sometimes a really hard time doing it. And they also love it, you know? So I think you have to be ready for it to be hard and it teaches you how to embrace challenges. You know, the way Francis talks about making the Godfather, he's fucking miserable. He was yeah. miserable. He was worried he was going to get fired. He was stressed. It was a terrible experience. So it being hard doesn't, you know, and you know that intellectually and then you're like in pre-production, you're about to shoot and you go, oh, no, no, but really I can't do it. Or you see your first cut and you go, I know I'm supposed to, I know everyone says when you see your first cut, it's bad. And then you should just keep going, but actually I'm fucked, you know, but <laughs> you know, I actually am. And it's, 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 it's psychodrama. It's, you know, it has to be hard or else it's not worth it. Nice. Awesome. 
and uh, you know, sell your wares. Like, where can people go to support you? I know that you, you don't have your film released yet, but like, what should people do if they want to support you as a filmmaker and see your film? Oh, well, keep an eye out. I guess like following along on the Instagram, I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there when I'm, you know, we, we've been documenting to the production process and putting up like the table read and some of the animatic and behind that we have great film behind the scenes images of it. And yeah, it'll be available in some way by sometime next year. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Great, Alric, what do you remember about your chat with Alden, other than the fact that I wasn't there and you were just like, oh, Liz, where are you? I'm I'm drowning without you. I just can't do this interview. Well, I was so surprised that you you didn't like I know you were busy. You had like very important thing that had come up. But I, I would like, you know, for me, this conversation <laughs> was like so exciting. Like, I couldn't <laughs> wait to talk to Alden. So I, I'm surprised you didn't like make it happen one way or no way. another, you know. But yeah, no, it was really great. It was really fun. He was just really charming and very open and very, you know, honest in a way that like not all Hollywood actors that I've talked to have been before, you know? And I mean, he really, you know, we we talked mainly about his directing, you know, and like how, you know, he approached directing his first short film and like a lot of like what he'd learned from all the movies that he'd been on and all the directors, like he's worked some, with some of the biggest directors, like the Coen brothers, Christopher Nolan, you know, I mean, Chris Ford Coppola, what's his name? Whoever did Han Solo. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say Brian Grazier, but it's not Brian Grazier. It's Ron Howard. (laughs) Yeah, so he, but he, he was, he told me basically a story from like almost every of those famous directors, which made me so happy. (laughs) And yeah, he just, you know, gave a, a lot of insight into his process and how he approached things. And he's a really pro rehearsal guy, which like I'm not a huge pro rehearsal guy, but mainly just because I don't have time or money for these things. So it was just a so such a new just to hear his process of rehearsal was really eye opening and really interesting and fascinating. And there's definitely a lot that I thought was really fun about it. And it it sounded even more kind of like what I've heard about improv in a lot of ways, like the way like they would do improv, like, you know, as their characters, you know, Mm. and like they would they wouldn't even. They also practice the actual material, but they would like do a lot of improv to like in character to like kind of get the characters to form, you know, and I just thought it was really interesting. But yeah, so many wonderful things he said. I can't wait for people to hear this interview. There's so much gold that he dropped. I just think it's funny that you and I had solo interviews within a few weeks of each other and I geeked out about mine and you're geeking out about yours. Yours first, Alden Ehrenreich and mine is an episode that hasn't aired yet, and it's Chris Perez from uh, uh, from Donaldson Caleb Perez, like who's an expert in copyright and fair use. I just think <laughs> mine is like so much lamer than yours. I'm like <laughs> so excited to nerd out about fair use, and you get like this uh, cool guy who talked to Francis Ford Coppola all the time. 
Yeah, well, it was funny because, you know, it, like his his background is that he worked on Francis's movie Tetro was Alden's first ever movie when he was oh. like, I don't know, 14 or 15 or something like that. And then so then he worked on, you know, Francis's next movie, which I also worked on. So I'd worked with Alden one time on that on that movie. And then, you know, so him, him and Francis are like, you know, they're pretty tight. So like. When, when he went to make his first movie, like, you know, he was able to, like, get a, b- a bunch of Francis's time to, like, ask him questions and, you know, kind of, like, get some directing tips. And, you know, he tells a lot us a lot about that in, in the interview, which is really, really fascinating. So it's just really cool stuff. But, Liz, I cannot wait to do another round of The Game. We, uh, we haven't played The Game in a while because... We haven't had a question in a minute, so I'm really excited to play today. And of course, for our 450th episode, I asked Eric to like come up with a really, really good question. So he said he was really proud of this one. So I cannot wait to read it. <laughs> for everyone to, to know who hasn't played, this is the first time you're listening to the show. We play this thing called the game, and it's a game that Eric Tom's our producer invented, where he comes up with like comes up with a indie filmmaker quandary. Like a scenario, like a situation that you're in, and basically ch- challenges us to figure out like what will we do in that scenario. And we we read these blinds. So I'm going to read this to Liz. She's never heard the question before. She does not know what it is. So she's going to be thinking on the spot. Liz always takes notes, which I love. So she's getting her <laughs> notepad ready. But yeah, here we go. Without further delay, here is the question. You are in pre-production on a short film when seemingly out of nowhere you lose all drive. Whoa. Not just for the project, but all creativity. You lose your entire creative drive. You second guess what you've been doing with your life. Oh my God. You lose confidence in all of your choices. You're not even sure how you feel about your past work. Okay, wow. Or if you even want to make another film. (laughs) You have no idea what triggered this, but you can't shake this feeling. Do you quit the business and go back to school? Call a friend and confess your secret? Stuff the feeling deep down and pretend that everything is okay. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Other, what do you do, director? What do you do? Uh, so that is a good question. Good job, Eric. Okay. Well, two things came to mind. One is you got to watch movies that inspired you to get into this in the first place. Like, I love the movie Broadcast News. I think it is a near perfect film. The ending... You know, I don't know. Whatever. I I love the ending, but not everyone agrees with me. Let's just put it that way. But I think it's just a fantastic film. And whenever I watch it, I I get kind of boosted. Right. You start thinking of movies like that, your favorite movies or movies that you think are masterpieces. Like you go and you watch Apocalypse Now. Talk about Francis Ford Coppola. Right. And you see this movie and you think, do you want to attempt to do something one fifth as great as that? That's your answer. Do you go forward as a filmmaker or not? Do you are you inspired enough by the art that previously inspired you to keep on going? But I guess the other thing is, you know, I I've talked about this recently, but I used to want to be an actress for like many years. I want to be an actress. This was in high school and college. And I did I practice monologues at home. I did theater. I did, you know, I auditioned a lot. I did all this stuff. I did plays. And one day, literally one day I woke up and it was gone. Like, I couldn't even explain to you. It was completely extracted. That passion was extracted from my life. Looking back on it, there was a 100% a reason why that happened, but I couldn't see it. And so what makes sense to me is to watch your favorite movies and call a friend or a therapist 
and talk to them about what's happened recently in your life. Because most likely the passion fell out of confidence in your body, in your brain, in your heart, whatever it is, because of something that just happened to you and that you just can't see it. I wouldn't quit the business. I wouldn't be rash. I wouldn't stuff my feelings deep down and pretend because I don't know how to do that. But I, I would try to get to the bottom of it. And it's a short film. And you can delay a short film, most likely, by a few weeks or a few months while you figure this out, right? So take some time and don't rush into the production without feeling good about it. Ulrich, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, likely you're paying for the whole thing yourself. So you just <laughs> save yourself some money if you didn't make it. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely pause for sure. Like you don't you don't want to rush into something that you're not ready to make. And I mean, you know, filmmaking is a privilege. So it's like if, yes. if you're not feeling good about it, like why why go through all the hard work to, to actually make a movie and will it into existence if you don't even have the creative drive for it? Yeah. So yeah, definitely don't stuff the feeling deep down and pretend that everything's okay. I love, I love that. Uh, yeah, no, don't do that. And uh, yeah, I think definitely would, would you know, talk to filmmaking friends and I mean, I'd probably talk to you about it on the show. <laughs> like, what's Same. going on in here? Like, I don't want to do the show anymore. Because yeah. I don't want to make movies anymore. I want to quit, you know? Um, and then you would probably convince me not to. Yeah. Maybe. Or not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, just just pump the brakes. I mean, I wonder why he didn't make this about a, sh- a feature film. I think because if the feature film, it's like you can't, what are you going to do? Like, you, there's so many pieces already moving when you're in pre-production yeah. on a feature. It's, like, really hard. Like, I think it would be a, l- a little bit more catastrophic to stop it. A short film is like, oh, that's easy. So you kind of made it a softball. If this was like a feature, <laughs> I think it would be a little harder to decide. You probably just have to do it anyways and like suck it up, you know. But um, on a short, yeah, pause, break, breathe. But I, I think before you did anything, just like take a day off from whatever yeah. you're doing and just take a day to yourself and just like do whatever makes you happy. Like if that's spend time with your family or if that's just like go for a long walk or a long run or eat your favorite food or whatever, go to bed early, like whatever you're doing in your pre-production for your short film and like whatever, like is your, your schedule that's like putting a lot of pressure on you. Just take a break from it for like a day and, and then let your, you just be a person. And then like maybe after that day you'll come back and you'll be like, Oh, okay. I've, you know, feel better. Yeah. Or or you just take a, a nap. <laughs> like, okay, I feel better. Or a long sleep, you know, it's just like <laughs> I think just just hitting hitting the brakes for a second before you do anything. And then you can decide if you're actually gonna pause or you're actually gonna, you know, delay it or whatever. But like I wouldn't do anything hastily. Just yes. take it slow and, you know, try to figure out what's going on with you. But it's probably just stress. And probably just you just freaking out because we're all very sensitive artists and it's easy to freak out over everything. And it's <laughs> hard to anything. see the forest from the trees, right? Like you're, yeah. you feel something's off and it's hard to see it. Wait, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question. Sure. If this happened to you, and I just started writing down a few ideas. If this happened to you and you needed to watch a movie to restore your faith in wanting to be in the movies, what would those movies be? Oh, I'd probably watch like the ones that I fell in love with early. So like probably Goodfellas and Back to the Future, Star Wars, probably The Thing, 
maybe Big Trouble in Little China. There's probably a couple, oh, Alien and Aliens, maybe the original Terminator. These are all movies I watch regularly anyways, but I would probably watch yeah. some of those, you know, maybe maybe Clerks. Mm-hmm. I was a big, big Kevin Smith guy when I was like 14, just like most 14-year-olds are. I would probably watch maybe some of those, maybe the original Clerks. Another thing I do, which really just brings me joy and gives me inspiration, is watching legendary directors' first features. Mm-hmm. So like, I would just like watch Reservoir Dogs or watch Clerks or watch... You know, some of these other really great first first movies, you know, and just like let that inspire me, you know, because that's pretty exciting, too. I wrote down. I remember seeing Not Fade Away. The I think it's is David Chase, the Sopranos guy. Is that the Sopranos guy? David? No. Yeah, I think is it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I feel like it's I don't, not. I'm not a big enough Sopranos person to know. What? We love Sopranos. Not Fade Away. Uh, yeah. David Chase. I remember seeing Not Fade Away and being like, this movie's amazing. Like, I would watch Not Fade Away, Defending Your Life, Broadcast News, Galaxy Quest, <laughs> Soap Dish, and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Like, these mm. are these movies, like, I know a lot of them are comedies, but these are the movies where I could find, like, joy or fear or, oh, gotta watch Possession or society, or Nosferatu, some kind of weird stuff, right? Or like Pink Flamingos. Watch Pink Flamingos and be like, oh my God, movies can really, really push boundaries. Watch that movie, right? It's a good question. Good job, Eric. Yeah, nice one. Uh, We've already gone really long, but I I do want to just ask you really quick, like, you know, over your, you've, you've been doing this for probably about 250 or so episodes. So nuts. But what have you learned over these 250 episodes? I think we talked about this maybe at episode 300 or 400. And I don't know. I don't mean to be redundant, but it's very personal, the takeaway. It's like no one feels secure where they are. Everyone seems to be chasing something else, no matter what level of success they've achieved. And that's a really interesting takeaway because you look around at other directors or other producers and you're like, they must feel satisfied, right? They've done so much, but no one seems to be satisfied. And I would say I know more than I think I know. And most people know more than they think they know. Like we had a great conversation, you and me last week about my fear of blocking. And then you were like, well, you kind of like hauled me on it. And I explained why I was afraid of a certain aspect of filmmaking. And it felt very valid, like, all of the anxiety. And I think very often filmmaking can be so intimidating that we forget to ask why or what's scary about it. Why is it scary? And I guess it's, it's good to have the community of other filmmakers to remind yourself that like, we're all kind of scared and intimidated by this process. Makes me feel less alone. Yeah, definitely. You, I think, I think like, a lot of those same things like where, you know, like realizing that no one has an answer, that there's no there's no level you can get to where, like you suddenly have got it all figured out and like yeah. it's all just done. And like, you know, you're 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 on easy street. It's more like, you know, you just need to like if you want to make movies, like you just have to keep on making movies however you can. And like maybe you'll get to a point where you're working with X budgets and you're getting paid and you don't have to take on other responsibilities. Maybe you won't, but I think like no matter what, it's just like, okay, I just need to keep going and keep making movies. So 
I think what I've learned is like just to take a little less of the pressure off maybe and just, you know, just keep doing it and like not try to put like, you know, like certain time limits or goals or things on my head because it just just focus on telling the next story that's important to you and like tell it however you can, you know, but like just keep keep making them, you know, don't don't just just don't stop. Like if you stop, then you fail. So don't just don't stop. It's like a shark. A shark keeps swimming. And if it stops, it dies. Like, just be a shark. Just keep moving. Just keep swimming. <laughs> be, be a shark. <laughs> what do you all think of this? What, what What have you, if you've listened to all of our episodes, 450 of them, what have you learned from listening to our podcast? Write us in. Let us know at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be amazing. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Also, make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They are an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, which is amazing. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Alden and Aaron, Aaron Reich for coming on the show. Thanks to Don and the team at Hell's Half Mile Film Festival for setting this up. Like, this is amazing that we got to have Alden on the show, and it's all thanks to Don and his team. Also, Liz and I were both jurors at the film festival, which was a blast. I, I think you were you did features, right? And I did shorts. Yeah, it was cool. So, yeah, thanks, Don, for including us. And thanks to Jeff Freimuth for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. Thanks to Eric Thomas for being awesome. And thanks to you all for listening for 450 episodes of the show. And we'll talk to you all next next week. Shadow Brother Suddenly, which he also stars in. Um, Sh- I'm taking the- <laughs> Take it again. I think it, it sounds like you said suddenly, not Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> that and I really, really don't know if I said his name right.